Hey everyone, if you haven't already checked out the first part to the Habib Akande interview about pleasure givers and takers, I'm going to encourage you to go back to last week and check out the bulk of this two-part interview. It's an amazing interview and I don't want you to miss the first part, but we're just going to jump right in to the last part of this interview and thank you guys for listening. We've received some amazing feedback and I look forward to hearing more about this wonderful interview and go follow Habib Akande on Instagram at Habib underscore Akande and check out his books, A Taste of Honey and Cunyata. Um, do you see yourself leaning in the way of teaching women more about how to please men? That is a very good question. No. <laughs> the reason <laughs> being even the reason being because um even though a majority of the readers of my books and the people that attend my workshops are women, I like to think that I'm speaking to men, even if I'm in a room full of women. The reason being I think just because in this day and age and with the climate and what it's in, I think a number of women might have a way of why is it a man is telling me as a woman I think women naturally be quite defensive mm. so that's why what, what I generally would do is I'll have for example if I'm having a workshop I might have a workshop with a woman so we're on the same page and I think maybe because I've noticed when I'm with a woman a woman women are more inclined to listen to me more if I'm giving women advice when there's a woman that's acknowledging what I'm saying if that makes sense but if it's just a man standing by himself saying this is what because women here they've heard that enough of men telling women what to do if it's on a one if, if again if a woman so that's what I, i'm just think I, that, that's what i'm conscious of that um and just how it looks optically like you've got this man talking telling women this is what you need to do in, in the bedroom and i think a lot of women naturally would just be defensive, defensive um of that the same way i think a number of black people would actually be defensive if you heard a white person saying black people this is what you need to do to be better whatever really? just naturally I, I, but in saying that, again, it's not that I'm averse to, um, I would say, maybe giving some women some tips, because I do do that in the book, but yeah. I would try and make it balanced where, where they can see that I'm more speaking to men, but by speaking to men, I'm also speaking to women, if that makes sense. That's so interesting because you have like Cosmo and these magazines who do feature articles like how to make him go wild and, you know, yeah. all that type of stuff. But it, I just find it really intriguing that women aren't more curious about how to be. But I mean, it's, so what you're saying is both parties aren't really very interested know, on how to be better lovers. They are both interested in how to be pleased. I think men are. I think men are more. Men are more interested to be better lovers, but it's they have like in terms more. Of, Not, women watch but, more TV, yeah, but men. Yeah, yeah, that's what I was going. To, yeah. Yeah, I was, I was going to say, it's, it's how men receive that information mm. and education compared to women, where men are more inclined to listen or receive that information by way of pornography or informal conversations or even stuff like memes or like two-minute clips, whereas a woman is more inclined to maybe, actually, I don't mind reading a book about this, having a, a discussion or conversation, whereas a man, we, we would learn, but we would learn by osmosis. Mm. So it depends on the environment that you're in. So even when I think about myself and I self-reflect me growing up, it wasn't that I was born this way. It's because I had older cousins and uncles that right. were like pleasers. But it was, if I'm honest, it was kind of like from an egotistical perspective that like you want to be that guy. 
And then that's the mark of manhood. That's what a man is. So then you aspire to be like that because that's what I saw as how a man should behave. But then I, when I realized that a number of like my male friends or other men didn't have that, you could say, support system of what is to quote unquote be a, a selfless lover, then that's why they don't have the aspirations. And if the information that they're getting about sex is like through pornography, then of course they'll have they'll be misinformed. But in terms of actually actually having a conversation where well there was a workshop that you want to know how to be a better lover. If I'm honest, I probably wouldn't have obviously I'm in my mid thirties now, when I was in my teens, early twenties, I wouldn't have gone to such a workshop. Right. Out of ego, out of pride, out of who's this person to tell me? Even if I, you know, like a lot of men have insecurities when it comes to premature ejaculation, um, when it comes to erectile dysfunction, but to go to somewhere where you can open up, a lot of men don't want to do that, especially in front of um, a number of men and women kind of thing. So you look at, you try and find the answers secretly, like on the internet, but a lot of the information on the internet is not necessarily like accurate. So that, that That's the problem. So it's, it's not that I would say that men aren't interested in becoming better lovers, but it's that we're getting um, the sources that we go to is not generally giving us correct information. It's coming from entertainment sources. Whereas with a lot of women, I think a lot of women are interested in the topic, but it's kind of like, I want to know about other people. So a woman can read a book or books about why men are, aren't behaving, um, performing well in the bedroom or why some women have issues, but in terms of to self-reflect and think about themselves. And I think, again, you can correct me if I'm wrong. I think I wouldn't be surprised if it's similar in Dayton as well, that, a lot of women might be looking at why aren't there any good men? Why aren't there enough men for me today? But they might not be looking at themselves and thinking, actually, let me self-reflect. Am I a good person? Am Absolutely. I am I a good? Right? My, am I am I that? Person? My prepared. Am I am I looking exactly? And I, and and that's something that is a, it's a difficult process to do. It's easy to kind of complain about the other side. Right. Like men aren't good enough in a bedroom. Men aren't good at dating. There's no men that's gonna give me everything that I want. Rather than looking at like, am I? I don't want to say deserve, but am am I? The stuff am I'm I in asking, a good space? Like that's exactly what I work with when I work with women with coaching is helping them to get in the right mental and emotional space to be so that you are who you need to be. You know, and if you're in that space, you're gonna attract better partners, but you're gonna take different actions that are gonna to lead to different results. But if you're if you're not mentally and emotionally in that right space, then you're going to keep it being in the same place that you're complaining it complaining about right now. Um, what I wanted to ask you about was when you say that I like the point about men learning through osmosis and women, you know, learn more intellectually, I guess, or they're more curious about how to get themselves pleased. I feel like with men, you mentioned pride being something that keeps them from learning. And I feel like how to be a better pleaser. And I feel like with women, it's more shame stops them from mm. being a better pleaser. And I think about like you, you know, growing up, just hearing my older cousins talk or if I'm at work, like I had like jobs as a teenager and stuff like that. And hearing like the women who are maybe in their twenties or thirties talk about their relationships or like, I can still remember when I was about 16 or 17, I worked in a nursing home and the kitchen in a nursing home is like doing, putting the meals together, serving in a dining room and stuff like that in a nursing home. And there's this one cook. Um, she was probably in her twenties. And I remember one day, I can still remember, I can picture it perfectly. And she's telling us like, yeah, and this is how you got to please your man. And you need to 
use a halls on him. We're like, a halls? What's a halls? <laughs> what you mean, halls, girl? You don't know about halls? First of all, make him take a tablespoon of peanut butter about a half hour or so before y'all, you know, are intimate so that um, his stamina, is, his energy is up. So you get him a boost of energy. Make him take a tablespoon of peanut butter. And then you need to get use a halls on them. And we're like asking all these questions. We're like 16, 17, just like curious. And just, but she was just sharing this because for some of the women that I was around, the family members or older people in the neighborhood, um, the women also took a lot of pride in being pleasers. So it's interesting because you say that, that those, those were your influences. So that's what's normal to you. And that's why I'm yeah. so thankful that a lot of women have a hard time with being pleasers because the women that I was raised around and what I would hear just like at work or at school or in my neighborhood or family, the women took pride in being pleasers. So right. we would say little things around the house or if I was babysitting my little cousins, I would hear my older cousins talk about, yeah, well, you know, you just need to do this or, you know, these little things. So to me, that sounds, that seemed normal. But it's exactly. interesting because if it's not something that people around you are talking about or women take pride in, then of course you're going to find some shame in it. But, yeah, that's really 100%. Good. I just, and uh, yeah, I like cause that, that shame just made making me think a lot. Uh, like when you mentioned that, obviously, like with a lot of men, ego might help them become better lovers, whereas shame is preventing women from becoming. I'm just digesting that, and that's that is so true. Um, yeah, that's very true, that needs to be unpacked. But I think even that, it's like. I, I imagine, obviously, even the work that you're doing, it's, it, it involves the coach that you're doing with people, a lot of self-reflection for them to look at themselves, their inner states, and why they've behaved the way they do. But that's not easy. But you need generally someone, unless you're naturally a reflective person, you need maybe someone to help you kind of gauge through those, how you've come to these conclusions and you think the way you are. Whereas if you haven't got that person to kind of help you guide through why you think the way you do, I can understand why people are in, a, are in a bit of a rut where they think the way they do, but they don't understand why they think the way they do. And they're not right. trying to change it because for them, that's just the norm. It's the norm. Absolutely. And well, shame and guilt really holds us back from a lot of things. And like you said, not you can be, so. I mean, I'm a super self-reflective person, but I have to push myself in different ways. I, I mean, I have so many people that are close to me that I have really intimate relationships with, whether they're counselors formally or if they just act as a counselor to me, like I have really vulnerable relationships with everyone that I'm really close to. I talk to them about anything and everything. So I'm a firm believer that you need people to see your blind spots. You can't see your own blind spots. So when it comes to relationships, whether it's dating or sexual or anything else like that, you often need someone else to be your soundboard. You need someone else to see your blind spots. And what I, what I find is that when you help someone to see their blind spots, that's when the light bulb goes off. Because like you said, things become normal. If, if you have any type of understanding of like basic neuroscience, the way our brains work, once we create a habit or a pattern, whether it's a behavioral pattern or a thinking pattern, but this pattern, it just subconsciously dictates our actions. So it does become normal. It just becomes this world that we're operating in without even thinking about it. So you have to break that pattern and change that thought process or the, that behavioral process, and then you can actually do something different. But when it comes to whether it's, like I said, relationships or dating or even sexuality, once this pattern is in play, 
until it's interrupted, you're going to keep going to that default. You're just running on autopilot. That's just the way our brains work. So I incorporate a lot of neuroscience techniques on rewiring how people view themselves or view relations and really looking at deep within, like, where did the root of this come from? So that you can turn it around. But if you don't even know why you're doing certain things or why you think a certain way and you're just running on autopilot, it's really hard to do something different. Like you can read all the books and watch all the videos and have all the information, but you still don't understand how to turn it around. So I actually think it, it might be, I mean, with Kunyaza, actually, you're really helping people to understand how to turn it around, you know, how to break their pattern when it comes to intimacy and getting pleasure. I would just love to see more women desiring to be a pleaser because I feel like you can't fully get pleasured when it comes to like, you know, your sexual exchange in the bedroom. I feel like you have to get to a point of desiring to be a pleaser because then you're going to take the orgasm instead of waiting for it, right? Like you're going to go mm -hmm. ahead and go for it. And if, even if you are waiting for your partner to be a better lover. If you're not good at communication or vulnerability, you're going to know everything he's supposed to do and still have a hard time communicating it. Mm. And how do you, um, I'm just wondering, how do you get, especially with the, the men that you work with, mm -hmm. how do you get men who are naturally not introspective to start to allow someone like yourself to, for them to open up and be more vulnerable? Like, are there any, like, how, what's, like, how does that work, like the process? So for the men that come to me, I would say um, for the most part, they're kind of at a place of, I think when most people come to me, they're kind of at a breaking point. Like, look, something has to be done. So um, I, think I think that my typical clients have a level of introspection and they just are ready to, they just need to go deeper. So mm. I don't typically deal with people that are completely they're just not self-aware. There's a level of self-awareness like, okay, I need to improve. Honestly, most of my clients are kind of into personal development. They're readers. Like they have a lot of these common traits about them that they're already mm. kind of exploring how to be better. They understand that they need to be better in life, like just in the game of life. So they have that basic level of understanding. If someone's just completely naive, they're not going to work with me because they don't think anything's wrong. They're always looking outside. So the people that I typically work with, there is a level of introspection there. They're curious. Like there's a level of curiosity there about themselves. So then they come to me, it's like, okay, let's just go a little bit deeper. But they understand that there's something that has to be changed. Like they're at that point in their life where they understand, okay, something needs to be done different with the men um i would say especially with the men that i work with with coaching not just with matchmaking but with coaching specifically i would say that the men are often a lot of times they're a little bit younger um a lot of my male clients are like under 40 for sure um i do have some that are older but the ones who really do the coaching aspect i would say they're under 40 probably even under 35 so their habits aren't as deeply set in because i feel like with men, especially once they're over age 35, habits are really deeply set. Um, they kind of just are who they are and, unless they are at a place where they really want to change. Um, with women too, but I think women are just a little bit more open to change. Um, but with the men, I would say there's also a lot of times a inner struggle with self-worth and self-confidence self, self -confidence as well, but there might be a little 
internal struggle with self-worth. They wouldn't ever openly display that. And they might not mm -hmm. even see it as a self-worth issue. They might not see it as mm -hmm. a self-worth issue. Uh, I'll know just by talking to them that it's a self-worth issue, that they doubt themselves a lot. They question themselves a lot. And I think that they're able to open that up to me because I really try my best to create a judgment-free zone with my clients yeah. and allow them to, like, even, like, my Muslim clients, they're, they're, they might hold a lot of shame and guilt around their sexuality or that they have been sexual outside of marriage or, you know, maybe they've never been married, but they've, you know, been through different, like, I'm just like, listen, I don't care. <laughs> like, I honestly don't care. I'm not judging you. Or if they're telling me something that occurred during the courtship or during the time of getting to know someone and I'm listening really closely to the story and I'm just like, listen, did you guys have sex? Like, just be honest. It's okay. <laughs> like, I can tell. I can tell by the things that you're saying, you guys. Okay. That being said, this is what I think you need to do differently. You know, so I create a safe space for people um, where they feel like they can open up judgment-free. But I feel like with the men, oftentimes there's an internal struggle of self-worth that they're not fully honest about um, on the surface, mm. but they just know that they, they just need a little bit of help um, in some areas. Mm. Would you say in terms of um, relationships, is and especially at the whole introspective point, would you say there's more work to be done with men or women from your experience? I could to get to that point. That's such an interesting question. And, I, and I've been asked this before, um, this is what I'll say. I'm not going to say that there's more work to be done with women than men. Um, I think that, okay. I think that both parties have to be introspective, but I will say this. I am a firm believer that the standards are set by the women and yeah. that the level of society is based upon the level of its women. And okay when you get the women to get into a place of high self-worth and clarity of what they should expect and raising their expectations, not just for men, but their expectations for themselves. Because usually what I see is women are always blaming, right? Outward, like men need to do better. There's no good men, men this, men this, men that. But when you really pull back the layers, their real expectations, not the he has to have a job, he has to have a degree and all these other material things are really surface layer. But when you pull back and see how they actually engage with men, how, where their expectations are, as I mentioned earlier, their ability to assert their needs or, or assert their voice or expect to be seen or expect to be heard or expect their feelings to be validated, that's usually very low. So they're low, they have really low expectations behind closed doors. And this is, these are women that can have PhDs, you know, they're attorneys, they're, they, they have these accolades that you would think that they have these, they would have high expectations, but it's not really high standards when it comes to relationships. Yeah. It's just, they want a man who has these material things or has these different accolades. But when it comes to how they actually engage with the opposite sex, their self-worth is really low. They actually don't really expect to be valued. They don't really expect to be respected or they don't, they might expect it, but they don't feel honored or respected in their relationships. And they don't really understand how to get to a place of expecting that so that they're able to walk away if they're not being validated or to understand that um, their, their voice deserves to be heard, their needs deserve to be met. And that's usually where women, no matter what they've accomplished in life, they struggle with that. 
Mm. And that, where you mentioned about like there's a number of women who don't feel that they deserve. Um, mm-hmm. it, is that from society? Is that from religion, culture? What would you, was it from their peers? Them, you know, I find it across faiths, across cultures. Um, there's definitely a mindset with women of not being good enough. I think that's the that's the common mindset. Most women just don't feel like they're enough. They don't feel good enough. I mean, even when I look at the major conflict when it comes to polygyny in the Muslim community, it's not just because that man wants to have another wife usually. It's, it's this feeling of why aren't I enough, right? Yeah. So yeah. all women want to do is feel like they are enough. And helping people to understand that another person, and I actually have to explain this to my male clients as well, that another person's actions, beliefs, you know, things that they do or won't do really has nothing to do with you. Like it's it's less about you than you think it is. It's really Mm -hmm. about them and often self-preservation. But women typically take it so personally that they all, they see it as an extension of themselves and just feel like, why aren't I enough? So even when it comes to rejection or not meeting the right one, they take it so deeply and they just feel like, how come I'm not getting chosen? How come I'm not enough? And you have to be able to break away from that mindset and not see that as an extension of you. And it is society. It's the idea that, you know, women aren't enough unless they have children, unless they're married, mm-hmm. unless it's just all these superwoman aspects that she has to be the best looking, she has to be smart, she has to be submissive, she has to be all these things in one, mm-hmm. you know, even when it comes to sexuality, she has to be all these things in one. And if she's not, she's not enough. And if, and if he doesn't want her, or if a man wants someone else, it's because she's not enough. No, maybe he just likes oranges. Maybe he just likes, you know, it has nothing to do with you. But women deeply internalize that every single thing a man does is a reflection of her and her self-worth. Yeah, no, it's interesting. I'm just thinking, you know, I, I do agree. And it's, it's something which, so even with like the whole Kenyaza, when people ask me what it's about and, you know, obviously it's a African technique that has a reputation of um, facilitating female ejaculation and multiple orgasms in women. And I said, that's what, it has a reputation of that. Now, some women, when I've had, the, you know, whether it's online or I'm having workshops, and I always, I try to stress that achieving whether it's female ejaculation or an orgasm, that's a goal, but it's not the goal. The goal right. is mutual pleasure. Um right. And the reason why I try to emphasize that is because there are some women who listen like, oh, if I don't achieve this, then is it that I'm not enough or am I, is, am I broken or there's something wrong with me? And I'm just trying to explain that, no, it's not that you have to achieve this, but we're exploring this culture and this tradition and why some women are able to experience these different levels of pleasure. But it's not that if I don't achieve it, then my husband is going to go and find someone who can achieve it. Someone actually sent me a really long email saying that okay um i really like what you're doing with the book but i think you're going to make some women feel very insecure because if they don't squirt with their husband when they're doing kunyaza then the man's going to go to another woman who can squirt with kunyaza and i was like whoa where did you get that from? i didn't right, like, like, <laughs> yeah i was like where did you get that from i was like well so that's why now i'm trying to make sure it's quite clear because when people 
you know, when you see the articles about Kunyaza, things like that, it's always this very like, oh, you do this and the woman will get multiple orgasms or she'll squirt. She'll do... So it's very goal-orientated. And that's what right. I think generally people are, you know, attracted to. But then it's not just about that. Right. Um, so that's why even when I have the works, I'll try to break it down that it's about mutual pleasure. That's not the goal. It's a goal that might happen, but ultimately it's about pleasure for the man and for the woman. And because it's an act which is a non-penetrative act, it allows the benefit for the man is that it helps him um, be more sexually disciplined. He's not just thinking about penetration. He's concentrating on the clitoral stimulation, which again, which you mentioned earlier, is what a lot of women need to experience an orgasm. So it's something where a man can explore his female partner's body, and hopefully a woman can also feel that she's going to reach a level level of satisfaction that she may not have received just by penetration. And then obviously after doing kunyasa, then you can engage in penetrative intercourse. But I've noticed that, yeah, sometimes I, if, if I don't mention that it's not just about like squirting and multiple orgasms, then some people thought, okay, if I don't experience that, then is there something wrong with me or is my partner going to go to find someone that can get this and it's like, like a tick box exercise and I'm saying it's not about mm-hmm. that but um, yeah I, I, it, it's quite sad that a number of women have this like well it goes right back to what you mentioned earlier about women feeling um, deserving of mm-hmm. pleasure in the bedroom you know that's all a self-worth issue so we would be surprised yeah. how much self-worth dictates so much of our life whether it's relationships sexuality career right like the house that we're in the car that we drive like all of this is a reflection of our self-worth do we feel worthy of certain things you know and the things that we shy away from are the things that we when we don't feel worthy of it we really shrink ourselves and avoid it or we or we feel really self-conscious and insecure around it so you know when if a woman doesn't feel worthy to be pleased in a bedroom where she doesn't feel like she's good enough when it comes to either a man's desires, like maybe she doesn't really feel very desirable. She doesn't feel like a man really looks at her that way. Um, You know, like you look at Aisha Curry and she's a beautiful woman, but saying that she doesn't really feel desired like that because other men aren't seeking her out or other men aren't approaching her. You know, that's a self-worth issue. Like why, why is that a reflection of how you feel about yourself as a married woman, especially? You know, I understand some mm. women would like, well, she has the right and, you know, stuff gets attention, everything, but you have to be in a place of self-worth within yourself where you don't need so much outside validation. When you're in a place of needing a lot of outside validation, you're giving a lot of power away to other people. You know, you're allowing other people to determine what your worth is. And this is why I'm so against so many relationship coaches and a lot of these relationship experts, especially male relationship experts, who... I was going to ask you, yeah, yeah. I want you to expand on that. Yeah, I have a problem with a lot of them because I feel like, okay, honestly, I feel like a lot of male relationship experts talk to women, especially Black women, like a lot of pastors do, where it's a lot of emotional moving. Like, let me just say things that get you moved emotionally, but they're not really going deeper to really teach them anything. They're not really helping them with accountability, introspection, anything like that. Like, they're just saying things to what, oh, a man should do this or a man should, but it's not really anything deeper, right? And a lot of them will shout to women, know your worth, know your worth, know your worth, you know, value yourself, know your worth. But it's like, it's just not that simple. And if no one has ever taught you what it actually means to know your worth, how to feel worthy, how to step into that, then 
it's just words. It's not going to do anything for you. So part of what I do when I'm working with women is helping them to understand how to get into a place of knowing your worth. Because once you understand that, you can always step back into it when you're feeling low value, when you're feeling unworthy. But if you don't even understand how to get into that place internally, then someone telling you, know your worth, value yourself, that really means nothing. And you're going to look at really shallow things as a way to validate your worth, like your degree or your car or your body even. You're going to place your worth mm-hmm. on that because that's, that's as far as it goes for it. You don't really understand what it actually means because you don't really know what your value is from the inside. So it's really important to help women get to their place of feeling worthy of what they desire. Mm. Men too, men too. That was good. Crazy. I love food for there. <laughs> well, I want to wrap up. We've been on this for so long, and I appreciate you oh, sorry. so much. This was excellent. This was so good. And I definitely want to do another podcast with you. I want to have you back because I want to talk about more about that. I think this is a really good subject, especially for my audience, um, to understand a pleasure gap. So tell well, everyone where to find you. Oh, yeah, so you can find me on um, social media, so like Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Habiba Kande, spelled H-A-B-E-E-B-A-K-A-N-D-E, and you can find my books on Amazon, Kunyaza, um, and A Taste of Honey. Before I, I go, I just want to say thank you, Jazakallah Khan and um, Zara, for inviting me. Um, I've been a fan of your work from afar from, for the last few years since we connected online. Please keep up the good work. Know that your work is appreciated. And I think it's important that even as men, where we're seeing people, especially women that's doing work that is um, pioneering and important, that we kind of actually not only tell the person on the one time, but also in public. So just, yeah, I'm not, not that you need my support or anything, but I just want to know that your work is appreciated. I appreciate your support. I appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, just wanted to make sure I, I say that openly. Um, cause I've, just, I've told you that before, but yeah, just please keep up the good work and I'll bless you with your endeavors because it's much appreciated, seriously. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> I'm going to wrap that up, you guys. So I do want to say thank you again so much. You've been amazing. This was a lot longer than I anticipated, so you definitely have had a long and powerful conversation with me today. So I appreciate you taking the time to have this conversation. I definitely support everything that you're doing. You're amazing. And I see you and I was like, wow, about your uh, workshop that you had. You had so many people come out about like a week ago, right? Yeah, last Friday. Yeah, that was amazing. You had an amazing crowd come out. That's exciting to me. So we're definitely going to continue to connect. And hopefully, inshallah, I'll be able to have you back for another interview. So thank you.